I've come from nothing, Anthony. I've come from Lebanon where things were really tough. I've seen the worst of it. Uh, I've been in the war during the war. I've seen my family suffer. I've seen my family lose everything. And I've seen how much my mom and uh, had to, to, to do for me to come to Australia. I, I, every day when I wake up, I think about this. And I, I, I'm not here just to, to waste time. And I'm here, I'm here on a mission to, 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 to be the best version of myself. And I push myself every day to, to do that. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia has sayings coined over generations, created to raise the spirits. The lucky country where you're given a fair go, the land of opportunity. Australia has many complex social and political issues, but these sayings have filtered into everyday consciousness. And many people come to our shores for the very reason that it is a land of opportunity. Ibi Mubada is the co-owner of Kaku Kali Cafe, nor Henrietta Charcoal Chicken and Lily Moo. Ibi, how are you going? Good, mate. How are you? Good. You've got um, so many venues at the moment, but you, you grew up in Lebanon and you originally came to Australia not with an intention to open restaurants. Can you tell us about that period of time? Um, yes, of course. Um, thank you for the opportunity for bringing me to your podcast, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Um, I came to Australia from Lebanon when I turned 18 with a dream to be a doctor. I've always wanted to be a doctor. You know, when you come from a Lebanese family, they always want you to, do, to, to, to be a doctor because that's what, you try, that's what they want you to be. Uh, and that's what I, I, that's what I came here to do. And um, obviously the reason I came was uh, the 2005 war, uh, which affected uh, where I live and um, affected the city of Beirut and that's when I finished school, I wanted to go to uni, and I thought, and, and someone just mentioned to me this, uh, that, that, that I can go to Australia through this office in Beirut, and I just gave it a go, and next thing you know, I came to, I, I got my visa, and I came to study, I did nursing, and then from then on, I finished nursing, I started working as a registered nurse, and then uh, it took a few years for me to get my citizenship, about four or five years, and then during that time, I started uh, building uh, love towards hospitality and towards coffee, especially coffee actually back then. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'll open a small hole-in-the-wall cafe and that way when I go back to uni and do medicine, I can um, at least I have some sort of an income, passive income that would support me through my uni degree. And that's where it all began. Well, it's a pretty incredible beginnings considering the amazing restaurants and cafes that you have at the moment. Take us back to um, your childhood, though, and what it was like before the the impact of that that war, and um, and and what life was like before it made you want to leave. Um, life was uh, life in, in Beirut was simple. Um, you spend a lot of t- family time. You spend a lot of social time with friends. Uh, I had a good life. Uh, very different to the life that uh, I live here in Australia now, very different. Not that one is better than the other, but just very different. Um, I, I really enjoyed school, so I, I was good at it. Um, I really enjoyed the company of my friends, and uh, I cherished the company of uh, my family as well. So that was something that I miss uh, coming to Australia because I had to leave everything behind. Um, life was good, but 
um, it's it didn't uh, provide the the opportunities that you need to grow as an adult. Um, and, and we and I see now because a lot of my friends stayed obviously um, back at school, and I, I I'm still in touch with all of them and talking to them. Um, I know how, how how much they're still suffering, even though they they're very smart people, they're very uh, focused. Um, but unfortunately, the uh, the economical um, and the political situation in, uh, in in Beirut doesn't allow allow them to grow and be uh, the best versions of themselves. And I'm I'm grateful that I um I got given the opportunity to to come to Australia and at least do something with my life. Food is really at the core of what you do now, and I know how passionate you are about. Uh, the food of your origins. What was food like back in those days with family? Can you tell us about some of the feasts and experiences you had? Um, I, um, my family, I, I, my dad passed away when I was a young kid. Um, so um, I've, um, since my dad passed away, I was eight years old. We moved to my grandma, who's my mother's mom side of the family. And my mother uh, and my grandma was a very strong um, strong woman, very well respected. Everyone, um, she had a big household. The whole, my whole family lived in the same building. So my aunt was on one floor, my mum was one floor, my uncle was on one floor, and and it was an eight-story building. And the, the rest, and lots of neighbors lived in that building as well. So my grandma had one big floor, and like I remember as a kid growing up that. Everyone just used to spend all their time at my grandma's building. So I would wake up in the morning and I would walk into the living room and there would be like my aunts and my uncle and like the neighbors and the next day would be different neighbors. And it was just, I've always been surrounded by a lot of people growing up. Uh, some that I didn't even know who they were, but <laughs> there was always people, but a lot of them. Um, and then what, by, what, what was the common thing is that my grandma always uh, and my mom actually together they always just made feasts um, and growing up I remember just abundance of food the whole time we opened the fridge we had two two big fridges because one wasn't enough uh, in the kitchen and I remember you open the fridge and you can't fit a bottle of water because it was always full of food so with those two fridges being full and so many people eating was was there a lot of food left over there was a, always a lot of food left over. And I remember um, my grandma used to know a lot of poor, less fortunate people that she used to always, they used to always come and they used to, it was just a thing that like we used to give them a lot of food to take home and feed their, uh, their, their families. Um, and I think it's kind of ruined me for now because now when I go to Woolies and I shop for myself, I always, even when I go to a restaurant and order, I always over order and I and I've like I've always noticed that about myself and I always question why I do that and and I swear it's my it's that it's that uh, when I grew up it's my grandma who's always like abundance is is uh, is just the way it should be <laughs> well, abundance has become a feature of the establishments that you have um, and they're all very, very different. But as you mentioned, you were studying to become a doctor at the time. What, what were the challenges involved in starting that hole in the wall that you talked about earlier? Uh, the challenges, Anthony, were that I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> basically, <laughs> honestly. 
I never worked in hospitality. Um, I never thought I would uh, own a restaurant because I was very determined to to do medicine. Um, I never thought about it when I was a kid. Uh, in Lebanon, as like growing up, like your family, like I said, they always push you to do engineering or law or medicine or and I was good at school so for me doing business any sort of business or uh, um, was just never something I thought of so when I came to Australia and I decided to do a hole in the wall um, kind of like cafe I thought well it can't be that hard I need to figure it out I remember the first things I did actually you did laugh if I told you this I um, I didn't know what I was doing but I knew I, I knew the cafes that I really liked so I used to, uh, I printed an eight, like I, I, I made a set of questions um, and I used to go to all these cafes and I print the set of questions um, and I take each one to, to a different cafe and I used to answer all these questions, almost like create wow. my own research about all these uh, cafes. So what coffee do they use? How many coffee? Uh, what the the most pop- I used to ask the waiters, what's your most popular item? What's your least most popular? What's your least popular item? Um, how many staff I used to record um, stuff like that and I used to take all that information back home and I used to like draw the common um, things that I thought were uh, a success for that for uh, that, that were common success out of all these places um, and I started creating my own like what I want to achieve from my from my cafe and uh, that that was the first thing from from an experience point of view i had i honestly have n- not worked in any hospitality venue of any sort not even a takeaway or a fast food place or anything so um obviously that was a big challenge i started speaking to a lot of people asking for advice uh, a lot of people said if you don't have any if you don't have any experience we said we, we advise strongly to maybe not do it like maybe <laughs> do it for some, honestly mate um but at the time i was just you know, I just I was I was uh, I was really excited about it, and I thought, why? Wow, why? Well, I, I think I, I had the feeling in my gut that I can do it, um, and it, it shouldn't be, it couldn't be that hard. And I figured things out as as you go. You know, like you you you, you run through obstacles, and you, you and then you just know you need to find the answer. And and it's just one thing at a time. If you just uh, don't worry about the, the the whole process, just worry about the next. Thing you need to worry about, fix it, and then move on to the next thing. You, you ended up opening that cafe. When was the time that you felt comfortable in your shoes and you felt you understood the game and the business was doing well? I think the first year um, of opening that uh, hole in the wall, it was a cafe. In, it was Cuckoo Calais, actually. I still got it till today. Um, Cuckoo Calais, Newtown. It was in the concourse of the train station. And the first... Um, the first uh, year of that cafe, um, uh, I tell you, man, I did. Um, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't great. Um, what what I think was lucky for us and what kept us um, alive for the first year was um, because the cafe was located at the concourse of the train station. So um, we had um, a lot of people every morning come and get their coffee. So we. Uh, we had that income in the mornings that was consistent to pay the the, the, the rent and the, the staff. And I did not take a cent for the first two years of that place. Um, and I barely survived. And I questioned myself every day if that was the right decision and if I should get out. And um, But in saying that, every day gets, every day things get a little bit easier. You, 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 
you learn something new or you uh, or you put a new system that makes things better or uh, you learn more about the coffee, you learn more about the suppliers, you learn more about the staff, or how to manage them and and etc. So um, I, I think I after the, the first year to a year and a half, I started, maybe a year and a half I would say, I started understanding, I started feeling more co uh, confident in, what, in my abilities and, and in running my, uh, my cafe. Um, and uh, and that's when things started turning for me, to be honest. That led to opening a restaurant, which has been, um, which has got a lot of awards and considered one of the best contemporary um, offerings of Middle Eastern cuisine. Um, what led to that huge jump from cafe to to Noor? Well, like I said, in the first year we struggled at Kukukala in Newtown, and then after that we. Um, after the first year, we decided um, things start turning, and I start understanding the industry, understanding the power of PR and publicity and marketing, and then we created events that really um, turned Cuckoo Calais around like massively. Um, we, we we started getting lines on the weekend of longer than an hour wait for tables every weekend. And, uh, the cafe went from doing. I don't know, an average of 15 to 20k a week to doing 40k a week consistently. Um, and then when we started seeing those, I started obviously getting more confident. And I, uh, after a six month to a year of that, I thought, fire out, I want to open another one. <laughs> and then, and then I, I started looking for sites for, uh, to open a new Cuckoo Color. I really believed in what we do and what the, the brand and what we're doing. And I started looking for a site. Um, in the east to open one and um, I went to a site in Potts Point which um, the landlord um, uh, decided he doesn't want a hospital like a restaurant there or a cafe and then as I was driving back to Surrey Hills I came across the the, north, the current north site and then um, I reached out to the agent walked into the door and from the minute I walked into the door I thought this is not a cafe but I've always had the vision um, as, as someone come from Lebanon loves food um, I just felt the niche or the um, of, of 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 a restaurant that makes me proud as a Lebanese person. If I want to take a friend out um, um, and I want to showcase Middle Eastern food in a different way, does not necessarily because Le Lebanese food or Middle Eastern food is not all about skewers and it's not all about uh, hummus and tabbouleh. That's only the surface of the Middle Eastern food, but there is a lot more to it than just skewers and skewers we only eat in Beirut like once a month if there is a barbecue like that's 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 so what you see in rest in the most common Lebanese or Middle Eastern restaurants is is literally the uh, the the one-off barbecue that you do in Lebanon so it, it's not a real resemblance of what Middle Eastern food is um, and then I always thought that it should be pushed more there should be a restaurant that provides all the things that make a good restaurant and make a good experience not just the food but also the the ambience the music the the wine list the cocktail list the staff the, 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 the from the minute the, the and i felt like that existed for italian for japanese for thai for greek for but it just didn't exist at the time for for middle eastern food and and i've always thought it and i've always uh, wondered why and then when i saw the site that then nor um, that I went to see for Cuckoo, for another Cuckoo, I was like, this is Noor. Like, I just felt it in my gut. I was like, this is, this is 
an incredible sight for Noor, especially because at the back of the Noor site, um, there, there, there was a, a beautiful glass windows, and, and at, at the time, because of the previous tenant, Tokonoma, it, they've covered the whole glass bit. So it looks so dark when we walked in, but then I thought, oh, that's glass. So I, 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 I felt like there was a sticker, like a black sticker, which I peeled off. And when I peeled off that, that, that sticker from the back glass, I, it, you could just see this beautiful greenery and, like, and it reminded me of back home. And I was like, I don't, you know what, like, maybe, I'm, maybe this is Noor. <laughs> And then um, I went back to my business partner at the time, and who is also uh, not in hospitality, by the way. And I was like, "This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And I believe that we can do this." And yeah, man. And he agreed, and we thought, "Let's do it. Let's open it Well, it made a huge impact on the culinary landscape, and it's a very popular venue. And you've had some amazing chefs in there. Tell tell some, us about that, the food, and that sort of deeper look into the cuisine that goes um, below the surface like you were talking earlier um well i was uh, obviously um when I, I the first i knew to my to my heart that the only thing that's going to make noor special obviously everything is going to make noor like a lot of things would make noor special but like it's going to come down to the food you know i can't call it a contemporary middle eastern restaurant and if it doesn't have the the contemporary food and i knew what i wanted but i I, I'm not a chef, so I couldn't, um, I didn't have the ability, obviously, to do it myself, so I knew I needed to find the right person to do it. And um, I didn't realize how difficult it is to find <laughs> chefs that understand Middle Eastern food either. <laughs> um, but at the time, I, like fate, to call it fate, or call it uh, uh, God, or whatever you want to call it, put me in touch with uh, Roy at the time, who... Um, who's from Israel originally, and uh, he obviously worked at amazing restaurants like Aria and, and heaps of others. And, and so he understood the, the Middle Eastern food because that's what he grew up on, but he also obviously uh, worked at some amazing uh, Australian restaurants. And that's what I felt like I needed. I needed someone that understands the two and blends them together. Um, and, and Roy, when I, when I first spoke to Roy and I told him about the vision and what I want to do, he, I just could see his face lit up and that he was excited because it was something that he was very passionate about and, and um, he wanted to do as well for himself. And then when, he, when we spoke, it was just like, it was like we were talking the same language. We understood each other very clearly. And from then on, we went on this mission to create, uh, to create the menu. Um, that was the first menu we opened with and uh, and honestly from the day we opened like media had uh, given us a lot of love uh, which we're very grateful for and and then we start seeing uh, the ex like the, the guests coming in and guests coming back uh, which is always incredible it's a great sign um, and start reading the reviews and everything was good and and then from then on like um, the restaurant started getting busy and obviously after two three years with Roy he moved off to open another restaurant in Brisbane and that's when we uh, got uh, when we got uh, Ben Williamson which uh, I know he's featured on your podcast before Ben Williamson is an incredible the most talented chef I know to be honest he's amazing even though he's not Australian which sometimes I feel like Sorry, he's not Middle Eastern, but he, he, he understands that food better than anyone else, man. Uh, 
he, he, under, he understands it really well and he's worked in the Middle East obviously so which gave him uh, more of an understanding of the of the culture and the cuisine and um, he, he, he also uh, joined us for a year it was temporary because he was obviously opening 12 Agnes at the time and he's like listen I've just finished at Gerard's I'm opening 12 Agnes I can I can come in and do some amazing things with you guys for a year or so and then um, and then we thought you know what like let's do it let's uh, and then we did that and then um, so Ben Williamson had his little um, uh, uh, touch on the menu or it played a part in making Noor what it is today um, and then most recently we finally um, got Paul Farage who is also one of the most talented chefs I've got to work with and I know to be honest um, and Paul is uh, comes from an Egyptian background he's worked at um, Monopol and uh, uh, he's worked at the fish butchery he helped Josh uh, um, with, with the book with the cookbook so he understands the whole seafood uh, uh, thing and uh, he's also like so we he when he when we offered him the opportunity he was um, at the beginning he was um, um, he was he, he didn't understand like what Noor exactly what we wanted but like you could just tell he started and he was just like getting absorbing and absorbing and absorbing and now I'm seeing him like what what he's done to the menu and I'm just looking at the menu going to it's a whole world of excitement and the people used to come and order the same things at Noor because there were staple dishes on the menu and now everyone is coming in and ordering all Paul's new dishes and and it's just amazing to see how the restaurant has evolved in so many ways in the last six years and and it's just keep on reaching these new heights and I feel like we're at the peak of those heights right now. The last year has been challenging for the industry, but you've um, been expanding during that time and creating some amazing new offerings. Uh, Henrietta Charcoal Chicken and also Lily Moo. Tell, tell us about those establishments, very different to what you're doing with the other two venues. Um, so obviously COVID come and nobody's expected it. We obviously uh, same as everyone else we had to shut down and it was uh, words cannot express how that felt like honestly I've never experienced an anxiety until that day um, that just the feeling of the unknown and looking at all your restaurants closed and it looked like um, and walking around them and then just always shut no staff letting all the staff go I mean that's a whole we can talk hours about that but we know we let's just put that behind us because it's part of the past thank God um, but then obviously as soon as the things like as soon as the uh, things started opening up again we uh, already had scored a site in Surrey Hills the, the, the old pizza bureau site and I said to my business partner I said to him mate like I think we need to open a Lebanese charcoal chicken I'm very passionate and it, it, so is he about Lebanese charcoal chicken we drive out west all the time to get it and we always also similar to I guess the same mentality I had with Noor like why can why does why did we not have a, a Lebanese restaurant contemporary that offers the service the wine the cocktails the ambience I just thought why why does charcoal chicken always have to be put in a bag and you take it home and you have to eat it at home and not be able to go somewhere and like sit down and order a glass of wine or a beer or a cocktail and 
listen to music and and then eat the chicken in the restaurant you know and and that that's when we I, 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 I presented the idea to my business partner and he loved it and he's like and we knew that I knew it again to my gut that this is um, revolutionary for the chicken for the chicken world uh, for chicken lovers uh, like myself and a lot of, there's so many chicken lovers out there mate. like especially for Lebanese charcoal chicken I guarantee you find some people out there that eat it like three four times a week because it's just one of those things that you when you once you eat and you get to enjoy and know how to eat especially like you, it's something that you crave it's pretty healthy and it's delicious and then um, we did that and um, we opened the doors right after COVID. I think it was July, we opened the restaurant. It was still like the restrictions were very bad. And we thought, I don't know what we're doing. It's gonna be a flop. It's the worst time to open. Even the media company that we, we, uh, we used, they said, I don't know, like you guys, are you sure you wanna do this right now? We're like, you know what? Let's just get it done. If there's one, if we go back into lockdown, at least we, we at least charcoal chicken people can order takeaway and delivery. I mean, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? And and like we thought, the, the, the from a price point point of view, it's affordable with charcoal chicken. It's not too expensive, and and we just wanted to do it. And honestly, Anthony, we opened these doors, and I swear to you, we did, never thought we would be as busy as we were. Um, and the shop has been. I mean, only last week or the week before, we were the second on timer, and we've only been best charcoal chicken in Sydney, and, and that was only after maybe seven, eight months of opening. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. And the, 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 the amount that we have customers come in like twice, three times a week, sometimes more, because it's just that restaurant, very accessible. It's like your neighborhood restaurant. You can come in, have a glass of wine, have some chicken. If you want to have a... Uh, some meza, you can have some meza. Everything is simple, just tasty, made in-house, made with love. Um, and we continuously like evolving it, like from the, when we started to where it is now, like the menus changed so much, the chicken brine changed, the spices changed, the chili sauce changed. Every week we, um, we continuously like fi fine-tuning every, every detail in that restaurant. Um, and it's been, it's been the feedback, the response, the revenue, everything has been, um, we're very grateful for it. And that was Henrietta. And then obviously towards October, uh, we opened Lily Mu, also in Parramatta Square. Uh, the Walker, uh, Walker development, they wanted us to uh, open um, a, a Noor. They approached us to do a Noor at West. Um, we went to see the area and we thought, nah, like, we don't want to just, expand Noor too much like Noor it is it's a unique restaurant uh, we don't want to lose that um, and I thought what can we do and then uh, I've always had passion with uh, Asian food I love Asian food this is a second to Middle Eastern food for me as uh, eating um, and uh, even at Cuckoo Calais the menu is a, it's a very much Asian um, so I've always had that connection from when I started in cafes and and that's when um we when, when we when we looked at the site, the the also the demographic for Parramatta, and being in a corporate uh, corporate towers, and I thought doing a Middle Eastern restaurant, Middle Eastern food can be a little bit um, heavy. You might eat it once a week or once a fortnight, but it's not a food that you want to eat every day. And we wanted to keep the brand. Um, so obviously, we want to match the the, the 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 brand for the demographic, and and then we thought, hey, let's do uh, Asian, and that's when. Um, 
again, I met uh, Brendan Fong, who is one of the most talented young chefs um, out there, especially with uh, with uh, with the Asian food. Um, uh, Brendan used to be the head chef for Mr. Wong for five years when Mr. Wong was first opened. Um, and he's uh, went and um, worked in uh, London, in New York. I had a Michelin star in London, and he was going to. He was actually moving to New York to open a, a Cantonese restaurant, and that's when COVID happened. And then that's when he ended up in Sydney, and that's when I somebody put me in. He, they, someone knew that I'm opening an Asian restaurant. And I was looking for the right chef, and he's like, "Listen, I think I know someone that could be perfect for you." And I end up meeting Brandon, not knowing exactly who he is. I haven't even seen his CV. It was just a word of mouth. And I just had a chat with him over coffee. And I was like, listen, dude, this is who we are. This is uh, what we have. And this is what we have coming up. And this, I think particularly you'll be interested in this venue. This is what we have envisioned for it, blah. And I showed him the floor plan and where, where everything is. And mate, it was like, again, house on fire. It was like... Originally, my plan was to do Chinese and Southeast Asian, but like have a menu that just makes sense. But some dishes, dumplings, and you can have like a, a Thai dish, but it just makes sense from a floor point of view. But he's like, why do we not mash the two cuisines together? As in like each dish will be a bit of like Chinese, Southeast Asian. And I was like, mate, this sounds amazing. I'm like, like this, you're talking right up my like you're talking my language like let's let's do it and then he he cooked dinner for us the week after and he uh, he's like I, i'm like can you show me what you're thinking and then he he's like what about i come next week and i i make you like i i make you four or five dishes and then we'll go from there and then we we're so excited um four or five days later we came and we tasted what he had presented and it was like honestly mind-blowing and i was like fire out like this is gonna be uh, way better like this is even like way more exciting than what I have envisioned and and yeah we embarked on this journey with Brendan and Bass and and then we um, we are where we are today uh, Lily Moo uh, again we uh, thank God like it's been since we opened the doors obviously we also opened during COVID and we opened during the time during the second lockdown in Sydney where things were really tight it was like four square meter rule like blah blah and again it wasn't the right time and again Lily Moo is in a corporate corporate building and there was no corporates in those buildings so uh, so there's 25,000 people that's supposed to be there that are not going to be there and we thought we just need to like, we already hired the staff we we thought like, we had to make a decision we sat down in the room and we're like I said let's just open and um, we'll, uh, we'll push it hard um, and then if it's and uh, we will uh, we'll see like and we did the numbers like the budgeting based on what we predict and we opened the doors and we did almost double what we thought we'd do and um, compared to all the other restaurants in Parramatta I think Lidimu is doing uh, the most covers and we're getting the most feed, positive reviews and I'm very proud of it mate very proud of it you came here to um, train to become a doctor and now you're one of the most influential uh, restaurateurs at the moment and you've got a lot more in the works. What, what drives you to take on all of these projects? I think it's, um, 
I think I've come, I've come from nothing, Anthony. I've come from Lebanon where things were really tough. I've seen the worst of it. Uh, I've been in the war during the war. I've seen my family suffer. I've seen my family lose everything. And I've seen how much my mom and uh, had to, to, to do for me to come to Australia. It wasn't like uh, using her uh, savings in her bank account. They really had to um, I don't know, put every cent into a bank account that all my family had to collect so that I can come and, uh, to Australia and study and do something with myself. And I didn't, I, every day when I wake up, I think about this and I, I, I'm not here just to, to waste time and I'm here, I'm here on a mission to, 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 to be the best version of myself and I push myself every day to, to do that. Um, and I think that's, that's my motive. I'm not like, uh, whether it was going to be medicine or it's uh, hospitality now, it's, I think if I were in medicine, I would have done the same thing. You've uh, opened a couple of restaurants in the last year. Do you have anything in, in the works that we can uh, look forward to that you can tell us about? I, I do, actually. I do. I have the most exciting one coming up. Um, very exciting, actually. So we have um, in August, on, we opened this one in August, uh, on August 1, August 1st. Uh, it's going to be called Alia. Alia in Arabic means uh, above all, heavenly, call it heavenly. Um, this one sits in the new MLC development, so where the MLC center in the city is. Um, underneath uh, there's a food court and above it there used to be a bunch of restaurants but been there for a very long time and only last year the MLC um, they decided to redevelop that whole area and part of that development it's opened up a few retail spaces and the one we, we got the anchor tenancy overlooking Martin Place um, which is a beautiful tenancy and sits above Martin Place which is why the name Alia because it sits above. Uh, Alia is going to be um, uh, a Middle Eastern restaurant similar to Noor, very contemporary. But the difference between Alia and Noor is uh, Alia is uh, going to be uh, focused on the coastal areas of, uh, of the Mediterranean, uh, of the Middle East. So um, I think a lot of seafood. Uh, Paul Farage, our executive chef, will be, um, will be looking after the menu. So expect as you walk into the venue a big walking cool room with uh, uh, dry aged fish and uh, which will all be you, you see the chef slicing the fish and using it on the in the, on the dishes um, um, and uh, what Paul is doing as well he's honestly I've been every time I see Paul now he's in the kitchen either cooking or he's on the kitchen uh, bar stool just reading books and he's really digging deep into the history of uh, Middle Eastern food so he's trying to put things on the menu that um, that really teaches people while they're eating what they're eating and where these ingredients have come from and how ancient to Middle Eastern cuisine they are. Which I find very, um, very, very, it's incredible. Um, um, so, so, so the restaurant opens on August 1st, designed by Matt Darwin, who's also an incredible architect uh, designer. So that's going to be keeping us busy for the next uh, year or so. Well, it sounds amazing, and um, your um, energy is inspiring, mate. It's incredible what you're doing and the, the venues that you're creating. Um, we've Thank loved you. having you on Deep in the Weeds just to get a, a glimpse of your story. I know there's so much more to it, and there's so much more to come. Thank uh, you, Anthony. Please, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, mate. Really appreciate it. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.